name of Jesus. Father, we do. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Comforter. We thank you for the Paraclete, the one who comes alongside, Father, and helps with the load, the one who is the rear guard, Father. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, that we don't live just as, as mere men, that we live as men who have been born of your Spirit and who are uh, occupied, who are possessed of the Holy Spirit of God. We're led by your Spirit, Father. And, Lord God, we just thank you for your precious, holy, written word. Thank you, Lord God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Lord, right now, we just pray that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, Father, that we might know what is the hope of your calling, what are the glory of the riches of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the greatness of your power toward us who believe. Father, we pray for the hearts of everyone here, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared to be good ground that would receive the seed of the word and would bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And, Father, we thank you that you do confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this evening we're, uh, we're on part three of a series we started called The Threefold Nature of Man or a Three-Part Being. And we just want to take a look, if you, uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we want to look at some of the uh, key texts that we have been looking at. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we use this scripture to bring out the point that God, that here the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church, says, I pray that your whole spirit, your soul, and your body would be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. And so he's breaking down and he's identifying three observable, distinct observable components of what makes you up. Now, you understand this, that we've said this, this is just a little bit of review. The real you is your spirit. This stuff right here that you're in, that is not the real you. This is your earth suit. Amen. It's, it's made of the earth. It's your license that's necessary for your, for your spirit to, be, to operate upon the earth. But the real you is that spirit. Amen. Is, is your spirit. And we say this, that the, the spirit is the part of us that before you're even born again, you know, the, the reason, man, we've said for so many people in the world and so many philosophers and so much has been said about they only see two dimensions of man. They see, they see a soul and they see a body. And all they can identify is two parts. Well, you know, there's, there's two parts. You know, you've got a soul and you've got a body. And the reason is, is that before a person comes to Jesus, the Bible teaches us you are spiritually dead. Now, let's say this. It doesn't mean that a person does not have a spirit. Okay? Um, try to give you an example to make, the, to make you understand this, is that... Um, Say, a part, say you receive an injury in a limb of your body and the blood flow has been cut off to it, um, it's been injured, and it's hanging there, but it's dead. There's no life in it. As a matter of fact, gangrene has set in, decomposition has begun, and you couldn't say, well, that person doesn't have whatever particular limb. Let's say it's an arm. Well, they don't have you know, both their arms. Yes, the person has the arm, but the arm is dead, decomposing, and there's no life in it. So a person, before we are born again, you, you have a spirit, but the spirit's dead. Why? Because it's cut off from the, supply, the life of supply. Did Jesus say, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? And fruit is, pro is produced on the branches. Well, this is the thing. You can take a limb, and it can be cut off from the vine. It can be separated from the vine, 
and the vi- and the limb will die. And guess what? It can lay there for years, right? You can have you can have a pecan tree get damaged in a storm and a limb fall off in the yard, and it can lay there a year later, and it's still a limb, but it's not going to produce any pecans. It's not going to grow any leaves. Why? Because it's been separated from the trunk. So it's still a limb. It's just dead, and it's separated from its its supply. Well, man, before we're born again, the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, right? And we understand that what that God's definition of dead is different than what our definition of dead is because he told Adam, he said, you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Well, guess what? They ate it, and they were still breathing, right? Still making babies, right? I mean, hey, most of us would concede if you're making babies, there's a degree of life there, right? But you understand, if we said that when God said, when it said he breathed into man's nostrils and man became a living soul, and it literally translates what? Man became an alive, breathing creature. And so that gives us the clue that God's definition of life is not just because you can fog a mirror, but when God says you're alive, it means you're connected to the vine and you're drawing your spiritual supplies coming from God. And so when Adam disobeyed, he ate the fruit, boom, he died spiritually. He cut off his fellowship with the Father because he disobeyed the word of the king. And he was still a breathing creature, but he was not an alive breathing creature. Right? Amen? And so we had, the, and then of course the body, we, we looked at this last week and we talked about that, that really don't fall into the trap. Last week, if you got anything at all from the teaching that stuck with you, it's this. Don't fall into the, the trap or the misconception of thinking, oh, well, the body's really not important. Well, you know, I got my my spirits born again. I'm alive unto God, and I'm renewing my mind. And you know, just I don't have to pay any attention to my body. I said it, I just got a greater revelation of this last week. Of course, it's one of those duh moments. You know, no duh. But you realize this is that you can't. We cannot downplay the significance of the body because what if God gives you an assignment on the earth that your assignment's going to take a hundred years to fulfill, or a hundred and twenty years to fulfill? And we neglect the maintenance of our body to where your body poops out after about 65 or 75 years and you still 45 years short of fulfilling all that God had for you to do. Well, guess what? Your body checks out. You just got your license to operate on the earth revoked and you can't finish your assignment to the fullness that God wants it to. So if we can't downplay the significance of any of it. You know, it's like you can't say my spirit don't need my body. Well, when your body checks out, your spirit's work on the earth is done, right? Amen? And so... Anyway, Paul is praying. He says, I'm praying that the God of peace himself would sanctify you entirely and that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved completely. Uh, we'll just mention this scripture. Genesis 2, 7, we mentioned that it says that God created man in his likeness and in his image. Now, I'll say this. I believe I've mentioned this before. We've heard the word and, and the, the word trinity, Okay. Some people, some denominations are just real, uh, they, they don't want to hear the word Trinity. They're real anal. They're real, oh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible any place. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible any place either, but I bet when the trumpet sounds, you want to go up, right? Amen. <laughs> and you understand that, that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but that is a theological word that's used to encapsulate this idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost that we plainly see all throughout Scripture that there is Scripture to give, the, uh, give this. So God created man in his image. Well, if God, if the Godhead consists of three, and you understand this, it's not three separate people, it's three distinct people. You can, you can look at it and you can identify, and I've mentioned this before, uh, St. Patrick that the, uh, that the, cat, that the Irish uh, venerate so much. St. Patrick, the shamrock, 
he used the shamrock as an example to to explain the Trinity to the people he was teaching. And it was three overlapping circles. And he said you could look at it and you could identify three distinct circles in a shamrock, but they all overlapped in the center to where there was unity and it was inseparable, although there were distinctly identifiable parts to it, right? And so you understand this. We can look at God the Father. We can, and we could see the Bible talks about God the Father. We looked in Genesis chapter 1. That's also, you know, Genesis chapter 1 in the first couple of verses. We look at it. Says, in the beginning, God created. Well, who's the creator? God the Father. Because Father means source. One, a, 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 it means a source from which something flows out. It means a progenitor. So God the Father is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, and the Spirit was hovering over, the earth was without form and void, darkness covered the face of the deep, and the, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So there's God the Creator, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit is hovering. Then God said, well, there's the third member of the Godhead, right? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became, uh, the word, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? That's Jesus. So we see just in those first few verses, right out the gate in Genesis, it establishes there is God the Father, the Creator, the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. And when Jesus, when the pre-incarnated Jesus, the Word of God was spoken, boom, all three members of the Godhead there involved. They were distinctly identifiable, but they worked in unison because we saw this before. It said that these three are one. I believe over in John's, the first epistle of John, it says these three are one. That word one means they work in unison. Amen? Isn't it amazing that God has a team and people in the church think they're the Lone Ranger? I can do this all by myself. Really? God had a team. Hallelujah. Amen? So God sets this pattern. God was, man was created in God's image. And so we want to take a look at a, at a new text this evening. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to begin to look, we're going to begin to look at the soul. And we said this, you understand this, that your spirit is that part of you that, has, uh, that contacts God. We, we said this, I believe, the first lesson we were talking about is that the natural man, and, and you, when, you, when you read that, the natural man in 1 Corinthians, it's talking about the natural man can't receive the things of God. Well, you understand the natural man is, is a spiritually dead man. And you cannot receive anything of God. That's why it's foolishness. So you talk to your friends that aren't, even, that aren't born again. Talk to some of your friends that are born again and aren't filled with the Holy Ghost and tell them, well, I heard the Holy Spirit say, or God spoke to me. They're like, oh, really? God talked to you. Okay? Well, you know, some people, if, if some people are saying God speaks to them in an audible voice every day, then you might want to raise your eyebrow. Because I've met some people that said, God, talk, God said this and God said that. And I'm like, but wait a minute. The Bible says this, and what you're saying God told you don't line up. Maybe you're listening to little G-O-D instead of big G-O-D. Amen? James chapter uh, 1, and we want to look at verse 21. It says, therefore, this is the New American Standard. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I like the King James Version on this. It says, Wherefore, lay apart filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And I like the King James Version, not because I get to say superfluity of naughtiness. That's just a fun phrase to say, ain't it? Superfluity of naughtiness. Amen. The super, put, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive, this is big right here, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And this evening, I called this, this is part three, and I called it SOS. What's SOS mean? It's a, it's a universal distress call that means 
Save our souls. And one of the biggest problems with the church today is too many people have been born again, but they haven't had their soul saved. And people go, oh, well, now, Pastor Brian, ain't that the same thing? You, you talk in doublespeak. No, 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 it's not the same thing. And, it's, and it is the reason why, why so many people who are born-again believers, even spirit-filled, let's just go all the way and say they're born-again, spirit-filled, speak in tongues all over the place. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and these people were people who got born-again, filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues so much, man, Paul had to tell them, man, y'all got to pull it in a little bit, amen? They were tongue-talking people. I'll go you one better than that. They operated in the gifts of the Spirit. People were given tongues, interpretation of tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. They were operating in all the... Uh, there's no reason that Scripture does not explicitly say, but it implicitly says they were operating in, this, the, in that church body. all nine, At least you could just about guarantee that all nine gifts of the Spirit were in manifestation. But he's telling you all just a big bunch of carnal babies. Amen. So, and, this, and this is the thing. And this is... This is um, this is epidemic in, in a lot of charismatic churches. Somebody gets born again, gets filled with the Holy Ghost, and because the Holy Spirit decides to manifest himself in certain ways, then they operate in some of the gifts. They automatically equivocate that with, well, I'm spiritually mature and nobody can tell me nothing because I have arrived. Well, obviously the Apostle Paul, if you think that Paul's credentials, if you think that Paul had any authority and he had any credibility as to speak to uh, the spiritual condition of people, Paul just said, man, y'all just a bunch of babies. You're running around acting carnal. And you understand this, that when we say carnal, it just means, carnal means your flesh ruled. Carnal means that what you observe with your senses, what you observe with your eyes, your ears, what, what you sense uh, with your flesh, the things that are seen influence your behavior more than what the Word of God does. And you understand this, that, that babies are going to act flesh ruled. Savannah, when she's hungry, she's going to let you know. When she's wet, she's going to let you know. When she just wants you to hold her, she's going to let you know. Guess what? Because her senses, and she just responds without any inhibition. She, man, she's off the chain. If you give her like two bites of oatmeal and you stop to take a drink of coffee, <coughs> she's hollering. She's fleshing out on you. But guess what? Babies are supposed to, babies act that way, right? But as we begin to grow and we mature, you understand that God has an expectation that you grow up. This is good. You can, this isn't on a handout, but you can write this down. What are the, the interests of the Father? It's sad that so many there, there are many people who are ministers, pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets, that don't even know what the interests of the Father are. Do you, know, you know there were people that were in ministry that were on Paul's ministry team that were not even interested in, in the interests of the Father? interest of the Father is that people would be born again, that people would be filled with the Holy Ghost, and that the people would grow up and mature spiritually so that they're able to get other people born again and get other people filled with the Holy Ghost and help other people grow up. That's the interest of the Father. That's how the kingdom advances. Multiplication. Amen? If we've been doing things right from the, from the beginning of this thing, you know, exponential growth. We could have done it quick. We could have done took this thing over, preached the gospel of the kingdom of the whole world, and just had Jesus come on back. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But the, the interest of the Father, and the reason people don't do that is because they're flesh-ruled. So you understand this. I, I want to say this. We've said this. Well, this is the first thing on your handout. 
The born-again spirit of man always wants to do what pleases God. Amen? You understand, Jesus said, I only want to do, I only speak what I hear the Father say, I only do what the Father says. You're born-again spirit. If a person is, is, is genuinely born again, they've made Jesus Lord, they've received, you understand, you received a new nature. When you prayed and you said, I make Jesus Lord, everyone, you know things you used to want to do. Now your flesh might have still wanted to do some of those things. And you may have even slipped in and done some of those things. But your spirit man wasn't good with it anymore. Right? So is it possible that someone could get born again, get born again, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then go out you know, looking for a hookup on the weekend? Sure it is. Bible spoke about it. People did it. Amen? But guess what? If a person's ever been in that situation, man, it ought not set good on the inside of you anymore. Something on the inside, I'll be going, mm, no, that ain't right. Because the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are the, the sons of God, right? So your born-again spirit, even though you may, you may do things that are contrary to God's will, your born-again spirit, once you're born again, you've got a new nature, and it always wants to do what pleases the Father, okay? Well, the rest of that is the flesh will always want to do what is contrary to the will of God. So here we are, we're talking about these three parts of your being. You're a spirit man, you have a soul, you live in a body. You're born, you're born again spirit. When it's made alive and it's born again, it always wants to do what's pleasing to the Father. But your flesh, until we get our, our glorified body, until we get that new body, your flesh is always going to want to do what feels good to that flesh. Right? So, it's, so what we got here says... Um, the deciding vote will be cast by your soul. Your soul, and remember we said soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions. Your soul is going to cast the deciding vote. And now here's the, here is the problem. Or here, here's, the, here's the scenario, maybe not the problem. One's a problem, one's a good thing. You've got this born-again spirit that always wants to please the Father. You've got this flesh that always wants to do what's contrary to the Father, that pleases it, that gratifies it. And here's the soul in the middle. And it's the referee, and it's going to decide. It's, it's the swing boat. It's going to decide what you do. And see, this is, why, this is one of the reasons you can't judge people. Now, understand this. We are commanded in the Word to be fruit inspectors. Okay? You can look at an action that someone does and say, that action doesn't line up with the Word. If you couldn't do that, then, then you have effectively just tied the hands of everybody that stands in, in a ministerial office, especially the pastoral office, to care for the sheep, to correct them. Well, you can't judge me. Well, look, I ain't judging you because I didn't tell you you'd die and go to hell. I just told you that what you're doing is wrong, and I can show you in the Word. I can inspect your fruit. I can look at the action. Does the behavior, does the behavior that you're exhibiting, does it line up the Word? This is why you can't judge people. Do you know that it's virtually impossible to tell a carnal baby Christian who has not... Uh, renewed their mind to the word, it's, it's virtually impossible to tell that person from someone that's lost, that's never even been born again. Because if they still think like the world, well, their flesh still wants to do what is contrary to God, if they haven't changed the way they think, if they haven't repented, because remember, repent's not something we do one time as believers. You enter into this, uh, this walk with God, you become a child of God, uh, you enter into the kingdom, it is a lifestyle of repentance because it just means change your mind. Get out of your mind that repent is just something you do when you blow it and you screw up. Repent is something that you do 
as you're read, as you're doing your daily Bible devotions, as you're taking quiet time and praying and and uh, and communing with God, praying with God and fellowshipping with the Father, and He begins to speak things to you, and He's bringing things out of the Word. Say, remember my words when I said this? And you're like, yeah. He goes, you know, you're not really doing that. You really need to. Oh, okay. Praise God. Yep, I see it, Lord. I, I see it. You reveal. You know, I, I won't give you all the details. Pastor Cheyenne just, you know, there's a, a facet of our marriage that uh, we had been uh, uh, looking at for years, thinking, God, it can be better. This can be better. Okay? And and uh, and, and, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has showed me exactly what the issue was with Pastor Cheyenne. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. You know, it wasn't like we were about to get a divorce or anything. Just there was a part of herself that just kept her from being able to uh, to just uh, let go, and, and I called it mushy love me. She loved me, but she couldn't just completely let go of herself and just completely just just fall mushy in love with me. And uh, and I knew what it was for the past ten years. We've been married ten and a half years, and I've known what it was ten years of the marriage. And you know, and I had mentioned to her what it was, and, and all it was was because her past experience, because she'd never had a man in her life that she could ever depend on. Her papa was an alcoholic. Her dad was addicted to, to, you know, whatever you could be addicted to and gave her up for adoption to her, grand, to her grandparents. And so she'd never had a man in her life that she trusted because every man that she'd ever, uh, the closest men, male relationships in her life they had consistently hurt her and disappointed her, let her down and been embarrassment to her. And so there's part of and I had known this, not spoken, but when the Holy Spirit revealed it to her, this just happened about four weeks ago. Man, she broke down and she wept all over the place because she said, I see it. I see it. You're right, and I see it. And praise God, it's been wonderful, man. The Holy Ghost is doing a wonderful thing in our marriage. But what I'm saying is, until the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, well, guess what? She repented. She changed the way she thought. She got revelation on it. The Holy Spirit spoke to her. She got some revelation on it, and boom. She's changing the way that she thinks, and it's changing things. So you understand that we have, you have to, uh, that, that this deciding vote, your, your, your life is going to go with the two-thirds majority. And this is the thing. You can be born again and born into the kingdom and love and, and genuinely you know, love Jesus as far as you know. But if, the, but if your soul, if you still think the way the world thinks about stuff, you're still going to do stuff the way the world does it. Amen? So, you ha- so this is the thing. We're getting to dealing with the soul. And, and I want to say this. This next thing on your sheet here says, it is your responsibility to maintain your thought life. Just like we said this, you know, last week we were talking about uh, your body, and I used the example of, your ve- of a vehicle. Well, whose responsibility is to do the maintenance on your vehicle? If your vehicle needs an oil change, you know, your little check engine light comes on, and you know it's time for an oil change. You know, it, you know, is your neighbor going to come over and, and knock on the door and say, hey, you know what, um, I just had... This, you know, I just, I just noticed when you drove by the other day that you know your check engine light was on, and I really think you know I, I want to take, I want to change your. That's probably not going to happen, is it? Amen. What? It is your responsibility to do the maintenance on your vehicle. Will you understand this? It is our responsibility. The Holy Ghost is not going to do that for you. I, I, I tell Clay this all the time. Clay will just today. You know, he likes to sit down. You know, get in a seat. I say, be sure and get yourself strapped in, cause Clay's old enough where he can buckle his seatbelt, and I'll watch him and I listen for the click. Okay, because this is the thing, I don't mind doing for my son, but the things he can do for himself, I want you to begin to do it. I want you to begin to know it's my responsibility. I do this, I, you know, and teach him responsibility. Well, you understand? He'll go. He'll he'll sit down. And go, I need you to help me, Dad. Help me. But he's not doing anything. 
I said, son, I said, you don't understand the concept of help. You think help means this, says, help me while I do nothing, and then I'm going to strap you in. That's not help. That's me doing it for you. Help is when you're doing the best that you can, and then I give you assistance. Okay? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the helper. He's not the doer. You can't just sit on the stool. This is an old preacher I heard. He used to say, he'd say sitting on the stool will do nothing. You can't sit on the stool will do nothing and say, oh, Holy Spirit, take care of this for me. Because he's going to say, wait a minute, Jack. I'm your helper. I help her. I'm not your doer. Let's just say this way. The Holy Ghost is going to say, I ain't your mama. God's your father, but I ain't your mama. I ain't doing everything for you. I'm your helper, right? So you've got to begin to do something. And, and, th- and this is really where the grace of God, and we understand grace is what? Benefit and favor. Don't give me the unmerited stuff. Benefit and favor. It is God's benefit and favor. Remember this. You didn't deserve it one time, but you, got, you made Jesus Lord. You came into the family. You became born again. You became a new creature. And therefore, and, and ever after that, when you did that, everything else that God promised you in his word, you do deserve because of the decision you made to make Jesus Lord. Get away from the unmerited because that's just a, a way of keeping people sin conscious. And you will never be righteousness conscious if you're constantly sin conscious. Okay? God says but that's the grace of God, the benefit and favor of God. You're going to do your best. And understand this. Ten years from now, your best effort ought to be better than what your best effort is now because you're growing in some stuff. Right? And you're getting stronger. And, you're, and your spirit's getting stronger. But the grace, the, the benefit and the favor of God is you're going to do your best, but, you, but no matter how good you go, you're still in your own effort and in, in the, the strength of your flesh. It's never going to be enough, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make it up for you because got, you've got benefit and favor with me. Amen? And so it's our responsibility to maintain our thought life. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 4.23. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're talking about saving your soul. I just want to, I want to pause there for a minute. Go ahead and turn there to Proverbs. But I want to say this. Going back to James, uh, was it one uh, one twenty one? It says, "Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul." And I do want us to, to understand this point. There is the difference between the spirit and the soul. If you can get if you can get born again and then get your soul saved, man, you're in good shape. You're in good shape. Because you understand this, and I like this. Look at this verse. Receive with meekness. Well, what's meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not I'm spineless. Meekness is not mealy mouth. Meekness is not I talk quiet so that nobody can run into me and I'm a really meek person. No, that's not meekness at all. The Bible says, remember, we, I, I taught on this. I can't remember the last time I mentioned this. The Bible says, who was the next to Jesus, who was the meekest man that walked on the face of the planet? Then that was it. Is it Exodus 15? Is that it? Is it Exodus or, or uh, Numbers 15, I believe. Numbers 15 or 13. It's talking about Moses. And it says, Moses was the meekest man on the earth. That's what the Scripture says of Moses. Numbers. Now, you understand this. This is the same Moses that when he come down off the mountain and people were worshiping the, the golden calf and having an orgy. This is the same Moses that went, shh, drew a line in the sand. He said, everybody want to serve Yahweh, come over here. People come over. He said, now kill all the rest of them. That don't sound like a weak uh, little limp-wristed, little tree-hugging, little sissy boy, does it? Little panty-waist, right? 
Because I'll tell you, I ain't got no use for a girly man. Come on now. Be a man. Be a man. That don't mean be walking around macho like some caveman wanting to beat your woman on the head with a stick and drag her to the cave. Just be a man. But uh, so meekness. Receive with meekness. Meekness means that it, 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 the, the, the implication in that word you study out is, is obedient. Quick to obedience. Means you, that you are uh, open and receptive to correction. Me and Pastor Mark were talking about this on the way up uh, today from St. Augustine. It is, it is very concerning to me as a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, to see how many people, and it is epidemic in this country, how many people will not receive correction whatsoever. And I will say this, and people can disagree with me all they want to, if you will not receive correction from a pastor, you are fooling yourself, my friend, to think you'll receive it from God. Because the word says, if you can't love your brother who you do see, and uh, who who you do see, how can you love God who you don't see? And I'll say this: God placed those ministry gifts in the body, and if you won't receive correction from that ministry gift, don't fool yourself. I think that 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 verse is applicable to say, if you can't receive correction from your brother who you do see, you will not receive correction from God. And I don't care how spiritual you think you are, and how much you think that I, well, I'm a spiritual person. You want to test somebody's spiritual mettle, confront them and correct them on something that they've done that's in violation of God's Word and see how they react to it. So you understand, if we're going to save your soul, remember, because this is what we're saying, you know, if we're to lay aside all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness, you know, all this overflow of wickedness in your life, you put it aside and you receive with meekness. Okay, you're coming to me in love. You're bringing me the, the Word of the King. You're bringing me God's Word. And, so, and you say, I am going to receive that with a spirit of humility and, and, and instant obedience as soon as I see it. Right? Receive with meekness, and this is the part I really like about the King James Version. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God. Now, some of you may have heard me say, so, well, I'm a country boy. And, uh, you know, my daddy, he liked it. One of his favorite things to do was graft apple trees. My grandmother, as a matter of fact, uh, my dad has been dead for 11 years now. But he'd be glad to know all three of his grandchildren ate apples that grew on trees on my grandmother's farm that he grafted over 20 years ago. My grandmother had these apple trees on her farm that the apples that were on them, they weren't really good, uh, you know, good apples. They were just kind of small, little knotty apples, you know, little green knotty apples, and they'd get little red patches on them. But they weren't a real good eating apple. And my dad, I can remember when I was Clay's age, 35 years ago, I can remember my dad going out, and you know, there's this one particular row, maybe about seven apple trees right in a row between her house and my aunt's, that my dad went out, and he'd take his little uh, saw, little bow saw, or pruning saw, and cut off a limb, and he had uh, shoots off of good apple trees that, that, were, uh, that made good apples. I don't know what particular brand, you know, type of apple were. You know, they'd make apples about the size of a tennis ball, and, and they were good, sweet apples. And so my dad would go and he'd cut off some of those limbs off of those scraggly little knotty, pine, uh, knotty apple trees and he'd you know, cut down in it and he'd take that apple uh, stem, that stem of a plant, and he'd stick it down in that graft and he'd wrap it in that gauze. There was you know, a tree repair gauze that you would wrap it in and then he'd smear this black uh, you know, tree wound dressing all over that and put a good thick coat on it. And eventually that tree, uh, the, 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 that branch that you put in, it would begin to draw nourishment from the tree that it was placed into. And so you had the root system there that the nourishment was going to be drawn out of the ground, the water, the nutrient was going to come out of the ground, and it was going to feed that limb 
Well, now those limbs that were maybe as big around as my pinky 35 years ago, you know, they're bigger around as a three-pound coffee can. You know, they're that they're big as around as a PVC pipe, uh, and they're tr- and they make all kinds of apples. And like I said, all three of my children have ate apples in my grandmother's canned off of those trees that my father grafted 35 years ago. Okay. Well, this is the thing about grafting that I like about looking at this passage of Scripture. Do you know that when you graft something, and other translations say receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Well, I like grafting because I've got a mental picture of what my dad used to do. He would take a saw and go to a tree that had the potential to produce good fruit under the right circumstances, and he would take that saw and he'd cut off the limb, an undesirable limb, off of the tree, and he'd plant something in it. He'd put, attach something to it that was going to produce desirable fruit. And so for us to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, what that means is is that the word of God, remember we said this, uh, I believe, the first week. Hebrews, help me out, Hebrews 3, he, Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is uh, alive and, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to separate the soul and the spirit. Right? We said that that's the only thing that can separate the soul and the spirit is the word of God. So when you receive with meekness the word of God, guess what? The word's going to cut on you some. And and this is the thing. A lot of people don't like to be cut on. Amen? A lot of people don't like to be hacked. Don't hack on me, right? How many of you guys are all young guns? I remember that line in Young Guns. They were sitting around the dinner table. Emilio Estevez was there. He's Billy the Kid. And they're all picking on him. And he's just sitting there not saying anything. And then one of them pops up and says, hey, Billy, rumor has it you killed him. They said, they said, well, first they said, they said they were all laughing at him. And they said, oh, we're sorry, Billy, we're just hacking on you. And then they changed the topic of discussion. They said, Billy, rumor has it you killed a man. Yeah, what would you kill him for? He was hacking on me. And it got real quiet around the dinner table. Oh, glory to God, he killed a man just for doing what we were just doing. People don't like being hacked on. But you understand this, the Word of God, just like that apple tree, something that was going to produce undesirable fruit had to be cut off so that you could plant something in it that was going to produce the fruit that the, the dresser of the vineyard wants. And this is the thing about the Word of God. You have to receive it with meekness, and that means an attitude of humility and willingness to yield your will to what it says to do, and you let it come in, and the Word's going to cut some stuff off of you. Right? I think every one of us, Brother Hebrews 4.12, Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you might as well just get used to this. Well, and what's the Bible say? You can look this up for me too, Brother It says, the wounds of a friend are faithful. The wounds of a friend are faithful. Okay? You understand this? The, the, the Word, if you get in the Word enough, and you stay in a, body where the, a church body where the Word is being taught enough, don't send me some church where it's all just a big spiritual attaboy club where we're just patting each other. Now, I don't mean you go someplace where you feel beat up and like you're a dog and like, you know, you know, you just, you know, you'd be doing God a favor if you went and hung yourself. You know, don't go to one of them churches where you beat up. But I don't want to go someplace where I'm just getting patted on the back and told how God just. Think, I mean, tell me God loves me, but tell me that He loves me enough to change me. That He's going to put something in me that's going to change the circumstances of my life. And this is what the Word does. The Word will cut you, and the wounds of a friend are faithful. Well, who's our best friend? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? Jesus, the Word. And so, if we begin to receive that Word with meekness. And allow the word to cut things off of us and plant something good in. Hey, you, you, we got some junk that needs to be cut off, but God wants to cut it off so he can implant the word in your life. 
Okay? And this, and, and keeping it in the context of James, it says that it's able to receive with meekness the implanted word, the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul. The way you, your mind, your intellect, your emotions. So if you'll receive with a spirit of meekness and deference to as to obedience, God's word placed in your life and uh, cutting off some things that you've got that don't line up with the way God says things, and you'll receive that word and you'll begin to repent and change the way you think to the way the word says to think, then guess what? Over a period of time, just like that apple tree on my grand those apple trees on my grandmother's farm, God's word will begin to produce the fruit in your life that you want. Amen? And so, understand this, going back to Proverbs 4.23, um, in the King James Version, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Um, I'll read it to you here in the Amplified. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. New American Standard, watch over your heart with all diligence, uh, for from it flow the springs of life. Um, the, the New International Version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Okay, and this word, this word keep means guard, protect, or maintain your heart. It means guard, protect, or maintain. And it actually has a, a military connotation. I never will forget me and Pastor Cheyenne when we uh, were doing children's ministry for Pastor Gregory Pope over in Coffee County that we were teaching on guarding your heart one day. And I started, I opened up the class and I, I was teaching. It was right after praising the worship and I was beginning to, to teach the children. And Pastor Cheyenne come running in the room wearing army fatigues with her face all painted up with army paint on her face and a little plastic machine gun in her hand. And she come running in and she jumped up on the platform and she did her, you know, she rolled around and jumped behind, you know, some of the, uh, the monitors on the platform and had her little gun up and she's looking around like that. And I was like, Pastor Cheyenne, what are you doing? And she said, I'm protecting something. I'm guarding something. I said, what is it? And she went, opened her jacket up and pulled out this big uh, construction paper heart. She said, I'm guarding my heart. I heard that's what we were talking about today. And you understand that there's a military term, that, that, that guard. You know, if, you, if you're charged to have the keep over something, it means you are responsible to, for the protection of it. And that means, and you understand this, if you're, on, if you're on keep, if you're to keep somebody, and you're to keep something, that means, number one, the implication is something's going to try to get to it. You don't have to guard or keep something that somebody's not going to try to get to and steal or vandalize or do, uh, do harm or destruction to, right? So right here, here's your, here's your tip-off. Guess what? You've got an enemy of your soul. And this is the thing. He, there's no, you understand, there's no such thing as a spiritual Switzerland. I've said this before. Right? Remember the Swiss? It always cracked me up. How do you go through two world wars and just go, oh, by the way, we're just neutral. We ain't going to have nothing to do with this. And everybody leaves them alone. Go figure. Yeah? Why didn't the Polish figure that out? You know what, Hitler? We're going to do this whole neutral thing. Don't bother us. Well, it didn't work for them. Well, the French tried not to fight, but that... Okay, never mind. That's my little history pet peeve. But you understand, you understand there is going to be something... If you have to guard and keep and protect something, then it means that there's something out there that's, that is, its desire is to attack that, right? And protect it. And, it, and you understand this. It, it's our responsibility, the Holy Spirit is, is not even going to do this for you. Amen? And, and so it's our responsibility. They're, 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 so this military term of having guard, of setting up guard, of protecting something, you've got to guard your heart. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. Because as we've already said, 
It's going to determine what's going to determine if how what's going to determine if a born again believer lives a life that's pleasing to God, walks in the fullness of God's blessings, and is obe- and and has and walks lives in victory. Let's just put it this way: reigns in life, lives in victory. What determines that versus whether or not they live a life of defeat and failure and never living up to the potential that God has in store for them is their is how they guard their heart. Amen. Let's take a look at some here. Amen. Um, um, you understand this is I like this translation right here. Proverbs four twenty three. This is the ICB. Be very careful about what you think. Your thoughts run your life. ICB, that's International Children's Bible. I like using that. I don't like to tell people when I drop those verses because I think you teach them down to them. International Children's Bible. Be careful about what you think. Your thoughts run, uh, uh, run your life. Destructive thoughts can take the form of feelings of worthlessness, inadequacy. You're a loser. Thoughts that are by their, uh, thoughts, uh, by their self can spiritually and emotionally, uh, and emotionally paralyze people. More frequently, though, destructive thoughts will approach us as beliefs, ideas, and suggestions that are contrary to God's way of doing things that, if acted upon, will produce devastating consequences in our lives and to the lives of those around us. You have got to you know, get a hold of yourself, man. Get a hold of your thoughts. Amen? Uh, I've said uh, this before. Thought always precedes action. Every time someone sent if you know, Eve... Eve, before she ate the fruit, before Adam ate the fruit, guess what? There was a thought come into his mind. God said, don't eat the fruit. Well, the devil said, yeah, the serpent said, if we ate it, we wouldn't die. And Eve went ahead and she ate it, and Adam came in. And you understand the responsibility rested on him because judgment didn't come until the man did it, right? Adam comes in. He starts uh, allowing himself to be influenced by what he saw in the natural Oh, well, she ate the fruit and she didn't die. Maybe God, you know, maybe the serpent told her that she wouldn't die. She ate a look. Huh? Thought always precedes action in the lives of believers. You know, someone's born. How does a man get into adultery? Well, guess what? He didn't just walk down the street and bump into someone and fall into bed with them naked. There were thoughts that preceded that. That would be hard to explain, wouldn't it? What was that bed doing in the middle street? What were you both doing walking naked? And how did you get, and why did you bump into each other? Right? That don't just happen. Guess what? It started out with a little flirtation. Maybe it's a little somebody you saw in the office. Maybe it's a little somebody that, a little waitress that worked at a particular little restaurant that you went to that you frequent or something, or a little coffee shop, or, you know, a particular lady that checked you out at your little uh, Target or your little Walmart or whatever, and, boy, you just made a beeline to get to her register every time you got there because you knew you could just you know, flash her a little smile and she'd be a little flirty with you, and then you begin to have these thoughts. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? And guess what? Boom, next thing. It leads, the person gets into adultery, guess what? They did not maintain their thought life because you begin to entertain some thoughts before you acted on them. And, and I've said, so, the life, you, so if we understand, let's go, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. I'm getting ahead of myself a, bit, a little bit. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read this out of the New King James uh, Version real quick. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For if we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having gird your waist, having truth, having put on the, the breastplate, uh, uh, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this, there's a whole lot of stuff here uh, talking about the armor. Because remember, Proverbs 4, uh, was it 4.23, keep, guard, take a military guard over your heart. You've got to be equipped to do it. You've got to maintain it because you understand this. Your life depends on this. Amen? Not heaven or hell, but how successfully will you fulfill your assignment on the earth? How, to what level of success will you uh, and, and, and prosperity in God's business that he has assigned to you are you going to walk in? It's, this is how important it is. We can't afford to live loose. And in these last days, how many of us can agree if we're in the last days? I mean, if, if 2,000 years ago Paul was talking about last days, and we almost 2,000 years further down the road, I think that we can deduct we are in the last days. And I'm going to tell you what, even people in the world can perceive something huge of, his, of, of historical significance. We're on the, the precipice of that. Amen. Huh? People in the world, and most people are filled with fear and dread about it. Isn't, and isn't that what the Bible said? Man, people, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Okay? We, we, are at this, we cannot afford to live loose. What do I mean loose? We can't afford to, to live loose spiritually. We can't afford to live loose in our, in our thought life. We can't afford to live loose uh, in, in maintenance of our body and taking care of stuff. We've got to start getting stuff tight because I'm going to tell you what. We are going to be entering into what the Bible talks about, perilous days. And this is not a, I'm not giving you something of gloom and doom, right? Because you're going to walk in victory. God's given us everything that we need to walk in victory. So don't feel intimidated when you hear someone say, perilous times. Hard times are coming. Extreme days, you know, told back extreme days, right? Okay, we're coming into these. But guess what? You don't have to be intimidated. God's saying, man, I got you equipped. I got your equipment here. So we're talking about putting on this. If we're going to guard the heart and we're going to be vigilant about guarding the heart, then God has given us uh, spiritual equipment to do what we need to do. And we, and we looked at this, the armor, the armor of God. And so um, you understand this? I want to give you this. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Different translations say the schemes, the plots of the devil. What is the, the scheme or plot? How does the devil execute schemes and plots? Through your thought life, through suggestions. This is the thing. Don't fall in a trap thinking, you know, I mean, is sickness an attack of the enemy? Yes, it, it can be. Right? I mean, we know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? The only, the only reason, but you understand that it all started, the very first, or, the origin, of the, and the first recorded example of the devil attacking someone was in their thought life. So realize this. What is it, what's most likely going to be the avenue that the devil and the tactic that the devil uses to attack us today? Your thought life. He is going to attack you in your thought life. And you understand this, that the Bible says we are to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
I'll give you this. It says, if you fail to put on the whole armor of God, defeat is inevitable. If you fail to put on the whole armor of God, defeat is inevitable. Now, I'll say this. You understand you're going to put on the armor of God, and as you grow as a believer, you're going to become more proficient in operating in the armor of God. Don't think, oh God, I'm vulnerable. I just put it on. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, this is, what I want you to get out of this is you've got to put all the armor on. You understand all the armor comes from the Word, right? It all comes uh, from the Word. Um, you know, you're putting on, um, you're, you, you gird your waist with truth. What's, what's truth? Your Word is truth, right? That's the Word. Um, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where do you get your awareness of the fact that you have righteousness? The righteousness means I'm in right standing with the governing authority. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ has become our righteousness. Well, if we, if we obtain, the breastplate is the, the awareness of our righteousness in Christ, but we get knowledge of that through the Word, right? You go on, um, you know, your feet are, are shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay, again, the Word. Above all, taking the shield of faith which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You understand this? The fiery darts of the wicked one are thoughts. Now, if we understand this, faith, right? Faith is, is a belief, a firm persuasion that is based on the word rightly divided that we hold to so firmly uh, uh, that, it control, it, that it governs what we think, say, or do to the point that we're willing to die before we'll change off of it, right? It's not just something that we just casually, oh, I used to believe, I don't anymore. I just, oh, I'll, I'll believe that. No, no, no. A real Bible faith, it don't know. It, it's it's not easily relinquished, right? They can tie you this up and beat you all day, and you're still going to say it's so. It's the word, right? And so you understand. We have got we have got to put on the whole armor of God. And this thing, like I said, don't get into the thing of thinking, oh, I just got it. Get it and become proficient with it. Uh, how many of you remember the story of David when he was going to fight Goliath, and King Saul said, "Here, man, put my armor on, David." Well, how many of y'all know that was probably not going to be a good fit anyway, because in my mind, I can see David there with a, with a helmet cut, falling down over his face and the armor way down on because David was a young boy. And the Bible says that, that Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. Saul was the tallest man. So here's David. He's a ruddy little shepherd boy. And King Saul is putting his armor on him that he is not, it's not even uh, made for him. <coughs> but what I want us to get out of this is David said, I can't use these things. Why? Because I've not tried them. Or in other words, I've not become familiar with them, or I have not practiced, I have no experience using these, so therefore it would be a greater detriment to me in this fight than using the weapons that I'm familiar with. This is the thing. You've got to get all the armor of God on and begin to operate in it. And don't be fretting and freaking out because thinking, oh man, I just, I just don't know how to get all this done. Get in it and get familiar with it. Operate in it and put it on. But you understand this, if we fail to put the whole armor of God on, defeat um, is inevitable, okay? So if we're putting the armor on, and you understand this, the armor of God that you're to put on is the armor of Bible knowledge. Remember I've said this, I'll wear this out, you'll hear this, this is one of those phrases, that it, it, faith and ignorance are impossible roommates. Here's another one, no two pieces of matter can occupy the same space. Okay, I'm not a phys I didn't take physics in college or anything, but I do know from science no two pieces of matter can occupy the same space, right? 
So faith and ignorance, you know, faith is based, you've got to know something to have faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to hear something. You've got to know something. Well, ignorance is not knowing something. And so ignorance and faith are impossible roommates. You, you have got to put on the armor of God. You have got, you've got to know the Word. Amen? Um, you understand this, that your defeat can be in a particular area. Healing, provision, peace of mind, the authority of the believer, righteousness, or you can have complete lack of, of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. There could be areas in, the, in your armor that you have huge gaps. You have nothing. And this is, this is the thing. Uh, knowledge, the, uh, knowledge of God's Word is what makes the armor. And you understand this? Hosea 4.6 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Amen. Here's another translation. This is actually the, the Young's literal translation. Sometimes when I read it, I like to call it the, the Yoda language translation. You'll see what I mean. It says, this is the Young's little, literal translation. It says, cut off have been my people for a lack of knowledge. That sounds like the way Yoda would say it. That's why I call it the, the Yoda language translation, the, the, the YLT. Cut off have been my people for a lack of knowledge. So when we don't have knowledge of what God's Word says, if we don't have knowledge that God's, that God's Word said, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. If you don't have that knowledge, then there's weakness, there, there's a gap in your armor. When the devil attacks you there, you, don't have it, you cannot have faith for what you do not have knowledge of. The, the, uh, the, what is it? the beginning of faith is the, is, the, is, is revelation of the will of God. We have to know what God's will is, and His Word is His will. Amen? Um, so, the degree, of, the degree of victory a believer will live in is directly proportional to the amount of Bible knowledge they have and the extent to which they are obeying the Word. Your, your victory does not depend exclusively on how much of the Word you know. Your ability to guard your heart does not rest exclusively on uh, your ability... Your, uh, how much of the word you know, but how much of the word are you doing? How much of the word do you know? How much are you doing? Amen? And so, I want to give you this real quick. We'll fill in these gaps. I'm going to continue this next week, but we want to. Uh, Romans 6.16 says, Whoever you choose to obey becomes your master. You understand this? And what we have here about this is, is whatever thoughts you allow to influence your decisions, your speech, your, and your behavior, it has authority over you. Whatever you allow to have influence, because you understand influence is another way of saying leadership. That's why I've said, you know, the whole time we've been here, I, I said, I said if, if I, you know, when I was senior pastor here, if my words don't have influence in people's life, then I'm not your leader. I'm not your pastor. If, my, if, if Pastor Earl can say something, if Pastor Mark can speak to you something from the Word and it rings hollow in your ear and it has no influence, then you need to ask yourself, am I really letting them be my pastor? And that's only what, that, you're the only person that can decide that, right? Because we can't get you down, stick a gun in your face and say, bless God, I'm, you're going to listen to me, amen? That would be more effective than sometimes, and I, amen? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But you understand, Whatever, it, uh, but Romans, Romans says, "Amen." I'm from West Virginia. Praise God. It, old habits die hard. You know, you can get more with a gun and a, and a nice word than you can just a nice word, right? Amen. Uh, this is uh, Romans six sixteen. Don't you realize 
that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master. You can choose to sin, which leads to death. You can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Amen. And then the last thing, and, and we'll pick up with this uh, next week, Second Corinthians uh, 10. You know what? I don't even want to touch that one because, that, man, that is huge because that's, I don't even want to open that can of worms up till next week looking at Second Corinthians chapter 10. But, so um, we want to go ahead and...